Amen. We, uh, we sang a couple of songs at the beginning there that as we were singing, the Lord sort of ministered to my heart, but I feel that I need to, I need to reinforce a couple things because I believe the Lord, you, some of you need to hear it again, that nothing can separate you if you are a child of God from the love of God, that his love never fails. It never runs out. He's got us in his grip. And I, I love the idea, again, as children of God, you have little children, we have little grandchildren now, when they're, you say, hold my hand, and you're walking along with them, and you know how kids are, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, squirrel, going off that way, and, and we're like that sometimes too, right? And, and the first thing that they do when they do that is they open their hand, right, and they start going, but I have a hold of their hand. I can still, they're, they're not going anywhere that I'm not going to allow them to go. And if you are, again, a child of God here tonight, he's got you in the palm of his hand. And he said, nothing can take you out of his hand. Nothing. And I believe some of you need to hear that. I know I needed to hear it again tonight. And, and just to be blessed by that truth that, that our God is greater than anything that we face. Our God is greater than anything that we, that we come in contact with, and his love never fails, ever, ever. God, we thank you for that amazing truth, that your word is true. We stand on the truth of your word, and you promised that nothing can separate us from your love. The love that you demonstrated for us, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Before we wanted anything to do with you, you reached out to us. Lord, we are so thankful, so, so thankful for that amazing gift of, of salvation in you and the assurance that we have as we walk this, this path before us. Lord, and as we just sang now, while we're waiting, while we're waiting for that, that time that we will be with you in, in, in heaven forever, Lord, we have work to do here. We will serve you. We will worship you. Lord, minister to us tonight as we are here to minister to you, to worship you. We want to hear from you in your word. We want to be challenged. We want to be changed. Lord, would you have your way in us tonight? In Jesus' name. Amen. I know you already said hi to everybody, but before you sit down, turn to, turn to those next to you and say, child of God, nothing can separate you from his love. <laughs> All right. Well, if you brought a Bible with you tonight, Please open it up with us. We find ourselves in 2 Kings, in chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Studies through the Old Testament on, on Wednesday nights, and we started in, we got, we got a pretty good way through chapter 6 last time. We're going to find ourselves in verse 24, starting off tonight, chapter 6 of 2 Kings. And it starts out, now it came about after this. And we looked at last time a couple of amazing things that took place. And, and we talked about, the, about that God is in control even when the world seems out of control. 
And even when there are things that happen that it just doesn't seem to jive with our understanding of, of what we think should be going on, God is still in total control. And we saw that last time as in, back in chapter 5, a man named Naaman who was healed of leprosy. An enemy of God's, of God's children, an enemy of Israel, he comes and he is healed by God of his leprosy and he goes back home with a converted man, a follower of Yahweh. And then as we finished in, last week, into, as we started into chapter 6, we, we saw that time where the, that army of the Arameans came back again and they had Elisha and his servant surrounded, remember? And uh, the servant woke up in the morning and started to panic and woke Elisha up and said, we're surrounded, they've got us all surrounded. And Elisha's like, just relax, relax. God, open his eyes, let him see. And as his servant saw the, the armies of the hosts of heaven surrounding all of the, their enemies in their chariots of fire and knowing again that God is in complete control. And then they were, they were overcome with blindness, the enemy, and Elisha led them away. And instead of having them executed, the king, he brought them to the king and the king said, should we, should we kill him? He goes, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, put out a feast for him. Feed him. Bless them and send them home. So this, this marauding band of the Arameans, they, they head back home. And no doubt, again, like we talked last time, can you imagine the conversation when he got back? You know, so did you get Elisha? Um, no. No, as a matter of fact, um, we're, he took us back, he blessed us, he fed us well and, and sent us back home. And, and it tells us that that marauding band, that group, did not come again into the land of Israel. But we see right away in the next verse, now it came about after this, Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, or Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. So he takes his entire army and comes now against Samaria, against, against the children of Israel again. And just th th playing into this just as an understanding, guys, as we continue to be obedient to God, like Elisha was, and, and the, see the work that is done through Elisha and people coming to faith and people coming to understand the true and living God, understand that the enemy never gives up. He's relentless. He's going to continue to come. He's going to continue to attack. And, and the, the more the Lord allows us to be, to be successful in ministry, the more fruit that we see in ministry as we share with others, understand the enemy is going to come even harder against us. And here we see the king of Samaria or Syria coming out completely, the, the whole army coming against them. And notice too, it says there was a great famine in Samaria. Now, the, the, the people that worshipped Baal at that time thought that, okay, it must be, it must be Baal that is causing this, this famine. But guys, God is in control of that. And we're going to see in a moment that, that God is using that to discipline the children of Israel. But he brings this famine against them. And the world looks at that and they grab a hold of their own gods and say, well, that, that's, we can explain that through our God, Baal. We can explain that through our God of our own understanding. It's not, it's not Baal. It's not global warming. <laughs> God is in complete control. And we see here that he brings this great famine 
and it was in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it, so they came, and that was a common tactic in the time. You surround a city completely, and instead of, instead of fighting the battle hand-to-hand where you could lose some of your own soldiers, well, they got them in this position. We're just going to circle. We're not going to let any food to go in, no water go in. We're going to starve them out, basically, and that's what that means, besieging them. They circled the city, and notice how bad it got. It said, until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and a fourth of a cab of dove's dung was for five shekels of silver. Now, in case you're wondering what that total is, it's approximately two quarts of dove's dung. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been that hungry. My, my kids say all the time, I'm starving. Oh, I'm so hungry. I, I should say, you, you, you want me to run down to the store and get a, some dove's dung for you? Are you that hungry? I never gotten that text. A lot of times I'll get you stop and get some milk on the way home. Never got that one. Um, but that's how bad it got. And to even looking at this, it's even far worse. As we continue, notice it says, As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. Help us in this situation. Help me in this process. And again, we're going to see this in a moment as we look. But instead of going to God and doing what God outlined and told them what to do, they're turning to the government. Help us with this. Help us fix this problem. And his response He's, he said to her, if the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? And oh, if he only had the right heart behind that, and if only that was the response of our government, but it's not. From the threshing floor or from the wine press, where am I going to help you from? Am I going to just produce grain from the threshing floor? There's nothing there. From the wine press, it's empty. That's why the, the, everybody's in the situation they are. And the king said to her, what is the matter with you? And listen to her response. She said, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Just reading that gives me a stomach ache. But that's how bad it got. And that's how wicked the hearts were of the people that they were willing to do that, that very thing. Now, we don't know if the children were already dead or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they had resorted to this. And you know what? God prophesied that this would happen back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that this would come about, that they would be besieged and that they would eat their own offspring. That's how wicked they had become. When the king, verse 30, heard these words of the woman, he tore his clothes Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath his body. Then he said, may God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Now we don't have for us the exchange that probably took place based on what we can maybe piece together of the exchange between Elisha and the king that this perhaps was coming, this famine was coming or whatever. But we see here the king's response, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill Elisha. I'm going to cut his head off because, because of this. And here, taking the problem that they're facing, this famine that is going on, the difficulty, the chastisement that has come against them, and he's taken it out on somebody else. And guys, if we're not careful, that is an easy thing to fall into. 
We might, not, we might not cut somebody's head off, but we can sure bite somebody's head off. When things aren't going our way and things are coming against us and difficulties that we're facing and we don't recognize it for what it is, we can turn on those that are even coming to us, those that are trying to help us, those that can come to us and say, hey, have, have you prayed? Have you been in the word? Have you sought the Lord in these things? And we can fight back and bite back. And, and instead of dealing with the real problem and searching for the real solution, it's really easy in our flesh to lash out. If you'll remember back in 1 Kings when, when Solomon was praying over the temple, when he was dedicating the temple, he said in his prayer, when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, if they turn to you and, and again confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you and they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel. Indeed, indeed, teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given your people for an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there's pestilence, if there's blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever the plague, whatever the sickness it is, whenever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hands towards this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways for whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all their days and live in the land which you have given to their fathers." God knows our hearts. God knows what's going on inside of us. And here he's, Solomon says when. Notice we talked about that when he said. He doesn't say if. When this happens, when these things take place, if there's repentance and they turn back to you, forgive their sin, restore the land, and the king and the people, none of them are doing that. They're, they're resorting to all of these other things instead of turning to the Lord. And here we see even... The, the king, an outward display, perhaps, of repentance, tearing his clothes, that was a way of showing, showing repentance or showing remorse, wearing sackcloth, that was something that they did. Again, an outward expression. But the prophet Joel records in chapter 2 of Joel, after speaking about the judgment that is coming, he says this, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart, not your garments. It's not, not an outward display God's looking for. It's an inward display. It's rending our hearts, being broken before the Lord. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. The author of Hebrews picks this up when he speaks of the fact that, that the, it, it, speaking in chapter 12, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood and striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Whom he receives. 
If it is for discipline that you endure, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines for us for our own good so that we may share in his holiness. Take this little tour through, through the scriptures to underscore this point. Guys, not everything that we face in our lives is because of discipline towards God. We live in a fallen world. Things are going to come against us because of the world that we live in. We live in a sin-filled world. But we have to make sure, guys, as children of God, that when things come, that, that if it is the Lord disciplining us, that we deal with those things. That we don't, again, lash out at others. We don't point the blame anywhere else. We say, Lord, what is it in me that I need to deal with? And we repent of that. We rend our hearts, not our garments. And God is compassionate. He's gracious. He is loving. And if they simply would have done that, this would have been over before all of this had come. But they continued to fight and push against outward displays. The author of Hebrews goes on to talk about about, um. Esau, godless Esau, who though he sold his birthright, he, he didn't get it back, but even with tears, because it was, outward, it was an outward expression. Again, his heart, he was not repentant and broken. If they would have simply done that, this could have been all over. But instead, again, he's lashing out. He says, I'm going to kill Elisha. I'm going to kill the messenger. I'm going to go against the, the only God, the, the godly man here. In verse 32, it says, Now Elisha was sitting in his house. He's in the city there. And the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man from his presence. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? He, the Lord, reveals to him that, this, that the king is coming to have his head cut off. And if you'll remember back when we were looking at Elisha's mentor, Elijah, when he heard that Jezebel wanted to have him killed, remember what he did? He took off running. He ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran, and he got far, and the, and the Lord dealt with him out there, remember, in the still small voice? No doubt Elijah shared that with Elisha. No doubt that they had talks about that. Elijah saying, son, don't make the same mistake I made. When God speaks to you, you listen, and you, and, you wait, and you wait patiently for his word. But when he speaks, you're not alone. He's, he, he, if he cuts off your head, it's not a nonprofit organization, like we said. He's not the last one. You, the, God is in control. And I love this about Elisha. Here's this man. He's, he's saying, this guy's coming. And when he gets here, hold the door. It's not that he's not going to let him in. He's holding the door because the king's right behind him. The king's following behind him. And while he was still talking with, with them, behold, the messenger came down to him and said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Now that's another little hint probably that Elisha had talked with him before that this is going to go on, but eventually God is going to take care of this. And, and he's saying, why should I wait anymore? I'm done with this. This has reached a point where I'm, I'm sick of waiting. And I love the song that we were singing earlier, that I'll wait. And while I wait, I'll worship. 
while I wait, I'll serve you. There's many verses in the Bible about waiting on the Lord, and just, to, just a couple that I copied down here. Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, we mentioned this again last week. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. Patiently waiting as he then makes the paths straight before us. And Isaiah 40, 31 but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord. Why should we wait on the Lord? When, when we think the time's up, shouldn't we act? <laughs> no, because God's timing is perfect. He's never one moment late. And so often, I know in my, own, in my own walk with the Lord, I can get impatient. I can say, Lord, I, I, I know that I'm supposed to be waiting, but it sure seems to make sense that I should do this, that I should go this direction, or that I should act right now. And the Holy Spirit giving me that check that says, no, you wait, wait. Because God is going to do something, like we talked last week in Habakkuk, that if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Just Wait. I, patience is not my long suit. I don't know how many of you that just, you know, man, I'm just patient. I got it all dialed in. Patience is not mine. But guys, we miss out on so many things if we get ahead of God. He's so gracious, but we miss out on so many things. And I wonder how many things we miss out on just by that much because we jumped the gun or we got ahead of the Lord. We're going to see in just, in just 24 hours how God is going to manage and going to work through this as we continue into chapter 7. Then Elisha said, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow at this time, a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Tomorrow at this time. Today you go down to that gate, and eight shekels will get you a donkey's head. Tomorrow, one shekel will get you all of this flour and all of this barley. Notice he doesn't say how. Again, because if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. But wait. Wait on the Lord and listen what happens next. Verse 2 the royal officer whose hand the king was leaning on answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make the windows in heaven open, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, Elisha speaking back to him, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Behold, listen, listen up. You're telling me that tomorrow this is all going to take place? Even if God opened the storehouse, the windows of heaven, how could that possibly happen? Mocking. Notice he said, listen to the word of the Lord. Mocking the word of the Lord. Mocking God. Mocking his word. And guys, as believers, we know the word of God. 
And when we share the word of God, we need to be prepared to face mocking. As a matter of fact, Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from creation. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of the water and by water. Through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word... The present heavens and earth will be, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Mockers will come with their mocking. And we see that everywhere, don't we? The mocking of God's word, the speaking out against God's word. You guys say, you guys say, you guys, you Christians, you guys are always talking about Jesus is coming back, the rapture's gonna happen, all this kind of stuff. You've been saying that forever. Everybody, anybody ever had that said to you? You've been, you Christians have been saying that forever. Next time somebody says to you, you know what? The Bible said you were gonna say that. It says, you want me to show you? I'll take you right there. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible said you were going to say that. You're fulfilling prophecy, bro. <laughs> and why do they mock? Why do they mock? They mock, he outlines it for us, and these are the ones that we see the mocking of, don't we? And, and, and when they come against us, they mock creation. Why? Because if there is creation, that means there's a creator. And if there's a creator, we're accountable to him. And that's why they mock. They don't want to be accountable to a holy and righteous God. And why do they mock the flood? Call oh, the flood. You tell me God judged the whole world. Why do, why do they mock that? Because again, if there's a flood and it came for judgment, that means they will face judgment. And the world doesn't want to be accountable. They don't want to face up to the fact that they will be judged for their actions. So they mock and they push away. And I love this too. It tells us why they mock. God's word tells us it's not because they're so much smarter than we are. That's what they're going to come across to you. They're, they're, it's because of their massive intelligence that, that we are. It has nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, the New Living Translation says that they deliberately forgot. If you have a King James Version, it says they willingly are ignorant. God's placed the truth in every heart, and they willingly push against it. And they'll come again with trying to sound so smart and, and come against with, again, this whole idea of evolution. Guys, hear this and understand this because all of us face this. Evolution is not science. Science, by its very de definition, is this. The intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. That is their definition of science. Nobody's observed evolution, and you can't experiment and show it. So by its very definition, evolution is not science. We, we say that it's by faith. We, we understand that as Christians. We, by faith, embrace the fact that God created everything. 
and we are accountable to him. It's by faith. The, the, the difference is they don't acknowledge that theirs is by faith too. And don't ever back down from that because they make it, they'll, they'll come with their argument and again in their mocking. But they, they, guys, the only difference is that we have hope and our hope is assurance. Their hope is, man, I hope I'm right. <laughs> it tells us that God will not judge the world again by flood, but he will judge the world again by fire. So they do have the global warming thing right, but it's just not their timing. It's they, that's coming. That's in the future. But he says, and I, I love this, and again, we'll get back to our text here in a second, but guys, it's just that we face this everywhere. He said, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Guys, it's God's timetable. And as I mentioned, his timing is perfect. He's never late. Everything is on his timetable, and it is a perfect timetable. In the beginning, he created time. Before, before the beginning, there wasn't time. He created time. He's not bound by time. He's not manipulated by time. He controls it all. And I love that too. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. A day is like a thousand years. We look at that, a thousand years is like a day. We always look at the second part of that, a thousand years is like a day, and that teaches us patience. Because for us, it seems like a thousand years. For God, it's just a day. But look at it the other way too. A day like a thousand years. That means that every second is like 101 hours. And you think, man, how's God going to get to all of this? How's he going to fix all of this? How's he going to get Guys, for every second, it's like 101 hours for him. <laughs> no problem too big. No problem too small. He's got it all covered. He's got it all taken care of. And why? Again, we see the heart of God. His desire is not that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So we see this man mocking, behold, <laughs> and Elisha responds, behold, you'll see it, but you won't get to partake of it. Verse 3, back in 2 Kings, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? Four leprous men. Now, there's Jewish tradition that tells us that that is Gehazi and his three sons. Now, that's not backed up biblically, but tradition said that that's Gehazi. Remember Gehazi, the Elisha's servant, who went after, after the Naaman, after he was healed, and said, yeah, you know, by the way, my, my, my boss, he changed his mind, and we'll take some of that gold and some of that stuff, you know, we'll take that off your hand. And Elisha said, didn't my spirit go with you? Didn't I see everything that you're doing? And because of that, because of your deception, because of your greed, the leprosy that Naaman had is now on you and your descendants. And I'll, if we get there, I'll explain to you too why I think there's other evidence of that here in, in chapter 8. But regardless, there's four of them. They're sitting at the entrance of the gate. Everybody's starving to death on the inside. They're starving to death on the outside. And they're saying, why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. If we sit here, we will die also. Now therefore, come, let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live, and if they kill us, we will but die. So we got four options. We got four possible scenarios. We sit here, we die. 
We go inside, we die. We go to the enemy, we might die, but they might give us something to eat. So logic would say, well, let's at least give us the one shot where we at least have a chance to, to live. But why give God only four options? And, and I, I think so often we can get into that mode too. God, there is, there, I, I can see that there's, got, there's a few ways that we can get through this. And here they are. And you can pick, God, any of these. And we just list them off. Guys, God is so much bigger than us. I love it where it, it, it tells us in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that was in us. Far more abundantly beyond what we could possibly ask or think. And I don't know about you, but I can think some big things. I can think some pretty crazy and outlandish things, but God says, you, don't, you can't even scratch the surface of what I want to do. And if you'll just simply trust me and leave the slate blank. God, it's, it's, remember back in, in, in school when, when you, know, you, you take the tests that you, you go into a final and you're hoping it's a multiple choice test, but then they hand you the blue book. Remember the blue book tests? Yeah. Give God a blue book. Let him fill in all of the lines in the blue book. Not, not a multiple choice, but give him, Lord, whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. And we'll just walk. We'll just follow you. We'll go, we'll go whatever direction. We'll trust you. We'll patiently wait. It's interesting when we step out in faith. Because this, this is a step of faith, even though they're, they're one option. They do go, and they follow, and we'll fo catch up with the story in a minute. But again, we have such a limited view of what the end is. Again, notice three of the four options is we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And a lot of times we can be in the middle of a situation and say, Lord, we're going to die. Maybe not, maybe not physically, but, but this, this situation, this job, this whatever it is, this relationship, it's going to die. But if we trust the Lord, guys, I was just in my daily devotion this week reading the story of, of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And when the word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, he said, this is not going to end in his death. And then a few verses later, he said, Lazarus is dead. So did he just miss? Did he just not? He, 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 there was something that he didn't quite connect? No, notice what he said. He said, this will not end in his death. When Lazarus died, it wasn't over. And guys, as followers of Jesus, nothing is going to end in our death. Everything ends in our life eternal. And, and again, we can get into that and we can start thinking, man, it's, this is coming to a dead end. But God, there's, there is no dead end following the Lord. And if we will simply walk in faith, he is always faithful they, these, these, these four leprous men, verse 5, it says, they arose at twilight right as the sun is starting to set to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. They circled around to the outside of it. They didn't walk straight to it. They kind of thought, well, we'll sneak in from behind, maybe thinking, well, if they do see us and halt who goes there, we could say, well, we're just kind of, you know, Roaming around, instead of coming right out, they circle around, come from the back, and it says there was nobody there. Look at verse 6. 
For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Brilliant! (laughs) Who would have thought of that? But that's what God did. That was God's plan. And it says that, that this sound overcame them, that the, this entire massive army that has the entire city surrounded, they hear this sound of this massive army that is coming. And I can only imagine what was going on there, so much so as we read, continue to read here, therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and fled for their lives. They didn't even saddle their horses and get on them. They just took off running. And we're going to see here in a minute, they're running and running and thinking, man, this, this, these weapons are too heavy. They start throwing their weapons. They start taking off their outer garments so that they can run even faster. God, God doing what only God can do. And they're running, and Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing but the righteous are bold as a lion. The righteous flee when no one is pursuing. They take off running, and it, it says no one's pursuing. We don't know if that were, those were actually the chariots of fire. They just couldn't see them, but God sends this, and they just panic, and they take off running. Again, who would draw that up? Who could think of that? Well, we can now. We've read the story, but God works so far outside of the box that we try to put him in, And again, they gave him four options. God says, I got something way better. When the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And then they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also, and they went and hid them. So just imagine the scene. (laughs) These guys, they're thinking they're gonna have to beg or they're gonna have to do whatever, you know, and maybe get some crumbs. Nobody's around. They go into a tent and everything's there. Probably still dinner cooking. It was twilight, so they're, you know, probably got, you know, a big pot roast on or whatever, and they're like, man, look at this. So they start eating and they take everything and they go and hide it. And then they come back and still nobody around and go in. And again, these guys are lepers. So they're the ones that, you know, have to cover their face and cry unclean and all this kind of stuff. So they're probably trying on all the purple robes. Hey, check me out, man. Look at this. You know, and they go and they hide it. And and then they come back and get some more. And then verse 9, conscience convicts them. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeeper of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Arameans, and behold, there was no one there, nor the voice of a man, only horses tied and donkeys tied, and the tents were just, just as they were. The gatekeepers called and told it within the king's household, The king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will now tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone from the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we will capture them alive and get into the city. 
one of his servants said, please, let some men take five of the horses which remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they will, they will be in any case like all the multitudes of Israel who are left in it. Let us, let's take a couple of horses and go check it out. If not, they're going to be like all the rest of the horses and their, their heads are going to be on sale tomorrow. Behold, they will be in any case like the multitude of Israel who have already perished. So let us send and see. They took therefore two chariots. He only let them have two with horses, and the king sent after the army of the Arameans, saying, Go and see. They went after them to the Jordan, and behold, all the way was full of clothes and equipment, which the Arameans had thrown away in their haste when the messengers returned and told the king. So they go, they check it out. It's just like the lepers told them. They, they go and they start trying to follow which direction that they went, and it tells, they went running towards the Jordan, and all the way along, there's clothes, there's equipment, there's all of this stuff as they're sh- shredding it, shedding it as they're running. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord. Of the Lord. Remember back in verse 1, listen to the word of the Lord. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him on the gate, and he died, just as the man of God said, who spoke when the king came down to him. It happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, two measures of barley for a shekel, a measure of fine flour for a shekel will be sold tomorrow about this time at the gate of Samaria. Then the royal officer answered the man of God and said, Now, behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him at the gate, and he died. So the king says, You go and guard the gate. (laughs) When word got out that, hey, there's a whole bunch of food out there and a whole bunch of everything, he's standing at the gate. He just gets run over. The word of the Lord again holds true. The word, of the, God, the word of the Lord is always true, always faithful. No matter, the mockers will be the ones who the Lord in turn says, you didn't believe. The word of the Lord comes against those who are mocking. According to the word of the Lord. It's interesting, again, the word of the Lord that we find great comfort in. Because again, just like last week as we started out and we talked about quite a bit, the world that we live in is crazy. We're facing a whole bunch of craziness all around us. But Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let the mockers mock. Guys, the word of the Lord says that if we die before he comes, we will go ahead. If we're alive when he comes, we will meet them in the air. Guys, 
it is a promise. It's the word of God. It's going to happen. I pray it happens right now. <laughs> anytime. Come, Lord Jesus. Anytime. <laughs> We're waiting patiently. But guys, that's what the word of the Lord says. And when we look around and it seems like the enemy might be winning, he's not. God is in control. And the word of the Lord says, we will forever be with him. Comfort one another with those words. Guys, this, that should be something that we're doing regularly, comforting one another with these words. Because it is crazy. It's nuts out there. <laughs> but our God is greater. And no matter what the enemy brings, no matter how, how crazy it seems coming at us, our God is greater. And in the end, we win. <laughs> because he's already won. The battle is already won. We say this a lot. Guys, we fight the battle, yes, but we fight from a position of victory. The battle's already won. Well, we don't have time to get through chapter 8, that's for sure. But I, I, I do want to point this out because I mentioned it earlier, and we'll circle back next week. We'll start chapter, chapter 8. But verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now Elisha spoke to the woman, whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go with your household and sojourn wherever you can sojourn, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will even come on the land for seven years. So before the famine came, Elisha went to the woman who had, remember, kind of made his bed and breakfast for him that he had and, and everything, and he warned her of it so that she could get away from that. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of seven years, the woman returned to the land of the Philistines, and she went to appeal to the king for her house and her field. She went back to the king now to get her land back. Verse 4, now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, please relate to me all the great things that Elisha has done. This is the king that wanted Elisha dead. And notice it says that he's talking with Gehazi. And that's why I, I, I believe that there's maybe some evidence that Gehazi was one of the four that, that went out. Because now the king is saying, man, tell me more about all of the things that Elisha did. Because you just, you, were, you, you went out and fulfilled, you, you were the one who went out and found out that they were all gone. And the, the, the whole thing with the barley and the flour for a shekel. Tell me more about what you witnessed with, with Elisha. And he says this, verse 5, as he was relating to the king how he had restored to life the one who was dead, that's the woman's son, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her field, and Gehazi said, my lord, O king, this is the woman and her son whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she related to him, so the king appointed for her a certificate officer, or a certain officer saying, restore all that was hers and all the produce from her field from the day that she left the land even until now. We'll go through that again next week, but just going through that one thing again with that. God is in control. You ever wonder, God, man, you, somebody you're, on your heart, you're praying for somebody, you haven't seen them in a while or whatever, and then you'll bump into them at the store, or that, that, that day you'll see them at church and you haven't seen them for a while, and all of a sudden, man, I was just thinking about you. I was just praying for you, or however that was. What a coincidence, yeah, there is no coincidence. <laughs> God doesn't work in coincidences. And I say that, and this is a point I wanted to make, and we'll circle back, like I said, next week. Guys, when God lays somebody on your heart, pray for them. It's not a coincidence that you're thinking about them. 
as followers of Jesus Christ, he, he, he works that way. He works that way in and through us. He, 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 he works through our prayer. And when God lays somebody on your heart, be obedient to pray in that. We'll, we'll pick up, we'll start again in chapter 8 next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your incredible grace and goodness. Lord, we see clearly in your word that there are times when we, when we step out of line, when we, when we act as disobedient children, Lord, that your hand is there to, to correct us. And Lord, I pray that tonight, if there is any of us here that, are, that have wandered away, that have been disobedient, Lord, that you would lovingly reveal that to us. And our desire right now is just to, just to repent, to turn back to you, knowing that you are a gracious and good God, a forgiving God. Lord, we are continually amazed by you and your goodness. And we are so thankful that you are in control, that you are the sovereign God of the universe. And Lord, we, we take comfort in that. And we comfort one another with that truth that, Lord, you are coming again. You are coming for us. We will forever be with you. But Lord, you've given us this amazing truth, not to just keep amongst ourselves, not to just keep in this room, but to share with the world around us, regardless of if they mock or not, Lord, give us boldness to share that truth. Go before us and prepare hearts to receive the message. And Lord, we want you to be glorified and honored in all things. Have your way in us this week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.